From KYW News Radio, the Delaware Valley's news authority, this is Flashpoint. What's igniting debate online and in your community? I'm KYW Community Affairs reporter Cherry Gregg, and we'll run through the big issues of the week that are getting folks hot under the collar. Coming up on this podcast. The Me Too movement goes mainstream with the one and only Oprah Winfrey rallying the troops to once and for all end sexual harassment. Speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. What this means for the movement. We have waked up the majority that we are. Women that are like, oh, I'm okay with being impolite. I'm okay yeah. with making you uncomfortable. Experts weigh in on what needs to be done to make this wave of woman power result in real equality. It was born from the election of President Donald Trump. To be successful, everyone has to stand together. The event that in just a few days will take over Philadelphia. Hey guys, listen up. When you're done with the show, would you do me a favor? Please provide a review and rate this podcast. And feel free to provide feedback often. We need reviews to push us to the top. Now back to the show. Thanks all. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The focus is the Me Too movement, which began on social media with women sharing story after story of sexual assault and harassment. Well, that movement hit a major crescendo this week with the fashion blackout in Hollywood at the Golden Globes, followed by a rousing speech that went viral by the one and only Oprah Winfrey. For too long, women have not been heard or believed if they dared to speak their truth to the power of those men. But their time is up. But the feminist movement is not new. It began generations ago, resulting in waves of success like the right to vote in 1920 and then women's liberation in the 60s and 70s where women won reproductive rights and more. Now there's a third wave. But where are we? Will women truly be able to cross the lines of race, ethnicity, and class to create a coalition strong enough to achieve gender equality? With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Carol Tracy, Executive Director of the Women's Law Project, which works to advance and protect the rights of women and girls. We also have Kayla Watkins, a graduate student at Temple University and a women's rights activist who has been outspoken when it comes to street harassment. And finally, on the phone, we have Lynn Yakel, founder of Vision 2020, a national coalition of groups and individuals committed to achieving women's economic and social equality. They're headquartered at Drexel University. Ladies, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you. Thank you. Now, women are feeling very empowered right now. Where are we when it comes to women's rights? And Lynn, I'll start with you. How do you see it? Uh, It's time. The progress of women has been glacially slow. We are at a very important moment in history where we have waked up the majority that we are if we actually step up, take leadership roles, uh, and vote, we can create the positive change that we've been looking for for such a long time. But we mustn't lose sight of the fact that we need to work together. Yeah. And so how do you feel? I mean, because we still have laws and all sorts of things that are encumbrances to women. Yeah. I mean, we actually have a a number of laws that that really um, should be uh, better enforced than they are. Um, but I think there's little doubt that we are seeing a resurgence mm. in activism that we probably haven't really seen since the 70s. And, you know, I, I used to wonder what it was that brought together the forces that really developed the movement against sexual assault and domestic violence. Because 
it was women sitting in living rooms all over the country. And this was before there was any social media. It was all grassroots. Institutions didn't help us. Yeah. And so we were moving in that direction. And I think, quite frankly, things plateaued for a long while. But College women six, seven years ago really started objecting and protesting sexual assault on campus. And they did something that really hadn't been done before in a very public way. They threw down the shackles of shame, um, stigma that has historically been associated with sexual assault and domestic violence. And they said, it's not my fault. I yeah. didn't do this. And that's sort of what the Me Too movement is, right? And, and Kayla, when you see this, you see all these women, how does it make you feel? You're coming up at a whole different time. There is the fatigue of having to share these stories over and over again on social media. You really don't get a break. But there's empowerment in the fact that students my age were not always this active. Something that was very formative for me as a young woman was uh, seeing the young woman who refused to let the school forget that she had been raped in her dorm. She walked around campus with the mattress that it had happened on, and then it formed this bigger movement in the school where everyone was helping her carrying the mattress. It was empowering to know that we as women, we didn't have to just be polite and Mm. put into a box. We didn't have to show our issues in a way that made men feel comfortable. And these women, we get to see this wave of uh, righteous anger Women that are like, oh, I'm okay with being impolite. I'm okay with making you uncomfortable. I'm okay with being rude to you. I'm okay with being nasty to you. I'm okay with just you being uncomfortable right now because I get to be uncomfortable as a woman walking through the street. And Lynn, I mean, why do you think women who had never been a part of any kind of action are now taking part? We need to remember what has gone before because when the women's movement was active in the 1970s, institutions were not supporting it. Now, the goal is to get women in leadership positions all the way from the president to the school boards. I mean, we have a goal of 50-50 shared leadership among women and men in business and government, which would change everything. It's a, a core goal to get the women of all different races, colors, persuasions, uh, uh, everything across the spectrum working together to make this change. But at those women's marches, There were women who were heard to say that they were sorry they wished they had voted the previous year. One out of three women did not vote in the 2016 election. Wow. And that is a huge problem. One of the things that we're after is to get 100% of eligible women voting in the year 2020 when we celebrate the centennial of women's voting rights. And I think, as I say, if we act like the majority we are, yeah. We can make the changes, but they have to be changes in institutions and attitudes. You know, Hillary Clinton was supposed to ride into the presidency on the vote of women, but she didn't win white women. She just did not win white women. And part of it was because there wasn't the, the full run to the polls. One of the, the things that white women really need to learn is how to do what African-American women do. African-American women are the single most effective reliable, formidable voting block. And we sure saw that in Alabama. And it came as a shock to lots of people that 53% of white women voted for Trump. Um, The numbers of women um, who identify as feminist women are much, it's a much smaller pool of white women. White women have to do a lot more work to get 
more of those white women to stop being so male identified and frankly, from being so racist. But the leadership that we're seeing in our communities right now, much of it is from African-American women who have dealt with the intersectional issues of both race and gender discrimination and have a very sophisticated analysis that is leading the charge. It was 26 years ago plus that Anita Hill testified in those hearings that set me into motion to run for the U.S. Senate. And I knew what she was talking about. It's taken a generation to get people to focus on the problem of sexual harassment. And we don't, we can't spend that amount of time you know, straightening these things out. <laughs> so I really feel strongly that we have to do two things. One is to get more men working with us as allies to change the systems and the, the institutions and the behaviors and the attitudes. And also young people, uh, middle school age, girls and boys, so that there is a built-in mutual respect uh, for their differences, their similarities, the benefits of working together. And that, to me, is, is where we really all need to be focused. The word intersectionality, that wasn't something that was originally a part of my vocabulary. And it's part of your normal discussion now. The problem is that there isn't a real understanding of what intersectionality means. Intersectionality is not just representation of women of color. It's an understanding that women across class, across across race, immigration status, there are a multitude of factors that affect your ability to go through the world as a woman. It's okay that those circumstances may be different across race lines, may be different across class lines, but it's important to understand those distinctions because that's how you get a situation where 90% of black women are voting for Hillary Clinton, who, to be honest with you, many of them did not even like. And it feels like every election that comes along, black women are put on this pedestal and are caused, told to vote as if you're taking cough medicine, as if I don't think we're going to get a surge of political support just by voting to avoid getting a, a rapist, basically, in, into the presidency. I don't know why women were reluctant previously, but now you see all these women stand up saying, you know what, I guess I have to do it myself. Yeah. Well, I think people have come to recognize just how high the stakes are. I mean, I think there's been this sense of complacency that, you know, there are certainly there are a hell of a lot more opportunities for women today than there were 50 years ago in terms of education, in terms of employment, in terms of legal rights. Um, but I think people have realized, my God, we could lose all of this. It's like we don't have any choice about it now. And we also have this generation of younger women like Kayla who have a sense of entitlement that we didn't have. That sense of I have a right to work in a job. I have a right to have an education. I have a right to walk down the street and be free from sexual harassment and assault. That is my right as a human being. We were told that, like, this is how the world is supposed to be and things are open. The world is your oyster, basically. And we get out and it's like, no, it's actually not my oyster. <laughs> actually, everything sucks and I hate this. Angry, I think, is the right word because we watched our mothers take on most of the domestic labor in the home. We watched our female teachers be spoken over. We've heard, had been interrupted and we're just like, this cannot be my life. We're in this future where we have iPads and FaceTime and, you know, electric cars and I can't even walk on the street. It almost it feels barbaric, honestly. You heard about Michelle Williams and Mark Wahlberg in a movie together. They had to do some reshoots. 
and Mark Wahlberg being paid 1,500 times more than Michelle Williams for the exact, she got paid at $80. $80 a day. Yeah, per and damn. I, I thought it was a typo. You're made to feel that, oh, I can't say no. I can't ask for a higher pay. And now that we're seeing other women speak up, like our mothers didn't usually speak up about street harassment. So our mothers didn't speak up about the times that they'd been assaulted or hurt because they were told that wasn't okay. Now we have the internet and I can just send on a tweet. But I think... What is stopping us is that women have been talking about this for forever and we do not have enough support from men, from people in position of power. And we need that solidarity on that side. Do you see that shifting, Carol? This is amazing. (laughs) This is amazing. Just the fact that the issue of consent is even being discussed is amazing. It's important to capture it. It's important to recognize it. And it's important to know that we're not done. So as we wrap this discussion up, we have this crescendo. What does it mean for the movement and what do you see going forward? It means there is this enormous historic opportunity to make the change that we all want. If women will keep their focus on being engaged, both running for office, voting, pushing the agenda ahead in business, and making sure that we are at the table to set the priorities and allocate the resources that affect all of our lives. If we start to have real conversations about consent and te- and being clear about teaching young men about consent, I think we can move a lot faster in our fight for equality and equity. Last word. Well, I don't think there's anything more powerful than the voices of women. There is little doubt that we are a threat to the status quo in a way that we haven't been in a very long while. Thank you to Lynn Yackel, to Carol Tracy, and to Kayla Watkins for being on Flashpoint. Next up, a year after taking over Ben Franklin Parkway, they're back. To be successful, everyone has to stand together. The countdown is on for the second annual Women's March on Philadelphia. This is Flashpoint, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg, and women have been hot under the collar since President Donald Trump was elected to office. And last year, a diverse group of women organized the Women's March on Philadelphia, one of dozens of marches across the country. It drew tens of thousands to Ben Franklin Parkway in a historic demonstration of love, tolerance, and demand for equality. Well, this year, organizers are bringing it back. On January 20th, fueled by the visibility of the Me Too movement, tens of thousands have already signed up to attend and is making headlines. With me in the studio to discuss this Women's March on Philadelphia for 2018 and the focus behind the movement are two of the ladies behind it all. First up, we have organizer Deja Alvarez, a transgender woman who is a leader in the LGBTQ community. We also have organizer Nikki Bagby, who works in healthcare but is also an activist. Ladies, welcome to the KYW Studios. Thank you for having us. We resist, we persist, we rise is this year's theme. Why? Tell me why y'all came up with that. As much as has been going on in the world of women, this Me Too movement, Time's Up movement, it is just time for us to show up. And we're showing up and we are a collective group that is a little different this year. The original group of women decided to add more people on the group so that everyone is included in the march this year. So we're excited. Um, People are trying to fight us every way, but we decided that we're going to show up whether it's cold, snow, or rain. 
training. And we're just here to help this movement continue on with full force. Now, let's take a rewind, okay, and go back to last year. I was blessed enough to have to cover this for work. It was cold. But the feeling was so warm. It was amazing. And you were one of the speakers, Deja. Yes. The feeling of it, the vibe of it, the whole aura of the entire march was just powerful. It was powerful. And then with what just happened, with who got voted into the White House, et cetera, and here we are a year later. Yes. You know, there's never been a more important time for women to make sure that it's all women, that we're completely inclusive of women of color and different religions and backgrounds yes. and, and gender identity and, you know, all those kind of things, making sure transgender women are a part of this year. Yes. It's just amazing. Yeah. Yes. And, and let's talk about that, because when you talk about a movement that relates to a gender, we talk about women. You have women of all different races, of all different socioeconomic classes, different yes. religions, cultures. Yes. You have so many things that differ yes. among women. How do you bring a diverse coalition of women like this uh, together? With last year's uh, march, there was some some criticism of it as far as the planning of it. However, mm-hmm. if you attended the march, you saw the march itself was extremely diverse. Yes. So this year, just making sure that the planning of it mm-hmm. is is a little more diverse. But all of us, I mean, we're in group text messages, group emails, group <laughs> phone calls every single day. Every day. And we're all teaching each other. Like, each of us is literally learning something from one of the other ladies. One of our co-organizers, Salima, is a Muslim woman. Yes. So we're learning stuff on a personal level where we might know of the Muslim religion, but not knowing it on such a personal level. And and Nikki and her faith yes. and, you know, all of that, like just kind of learning the intimacies of each other and, and how we differ. Yeah. And it's important that women understand because it, it's been this thing to say, well, this is a white feminist movement, right? It has nothing to do with other races. So what we decided to do this year is we're looking for every everyday ordinary people. So instead of having all the glitz and glamour of CEOs, we're just talking, we're just asking people who speak that are just people who are just ordinary women that are in ordinary corners of their blocks and their neighborhoods that's just coming out and have phenomenal stories. And we have some speakers that we didn't have this year. We are blessed to have one of the women from the Million Women March. Wow. Right? So to show that that solidarity to say, okay, we can call them up and say, you know what? We want to be a part of this. So we're hoping from every community, whether it's the Latino community, Asian community, African-American community, Jewish community, Christian community, Muslim community, that we're coming out to tell a story. And we are a train <laughs> and we are in motion. <laughs> On the and tracks. anything yeah. that comes our way right. is going to get ran over that don't mean us good. So I just want to say I that. Know- <laughs> and I feel the vibe. I've never, you yes. know, b- seen women so empowered. Think about it. There's women who have never really been involved in movements, period. Mm-hmm. And now those are the ones we want. Yes. We want those women. I mean, we want the ones that have always been involved, but we want the ones yes. that weren't always necessarily involved. Maybe they felt like it didn't affect them in yes. some way or, or whatever the case. But like Nikki said, going after the ordinary um, and, and we don't. Like to use the word ordinary, but we haven't been able to figure out another word to use. Women. But like the everyday woman, <laughs> everyday everybody, who, yeah, right. yeah. You who aren't I mean? necessarily in other movements, but yes. feel compelled to come out and yes. to be a part of it. Yes. Absolutely. And so I understand that y'all have thirty-seven thousand. As I checked this morning, I mean there were tens of that. I couldn't even count. There yeah. were so over many. fifty thousand last year. And wow. We, some of the estimated numbers that we have are not all real time, but we've estimated forty-eight thousand have already registered. So we want to take over Philadelphia. 
We want everybody to know that we're coming through. We're in the street, in the cold, and we're marching for a purpose. And, and with the feminist movement yes. and the women's movement and all of that, you know, there's a lot, there is a lot of infighting right now. Yes. There's yes. a lot of people in the feminist movement that are trying to pick and choose who belongs in the feminist yes. movement. But, you know, for any movement, I feel like to be successful, everyone has to stand together. Yes. Regardless of your personal differences. Yes. Regardless of... What you believe in, who you believe in, what God you praise or where you pray at or where you lay your head or who you lay your head with. Every single person, uh, born woman or not born woman, who identifies as a woman should realize that that this movement is for them. It's for all of us. And if we don't stop this constant infighting with each other all the time, this is why in 2018 we still have to have a women's march. Yes. Yes. And, and, you know, I got to mention the blackout that has been going on with the Golden Globes. And then you heard Oprah's speech. There is a momentum building and and the march, the marches that are going to be going on are right in the middle of all of this. So describe what's going to be happening, when it is, how people can get involved, because I know folks want to be there. So marchers will gather at Logan Square starting at 1030 for the 11 o'clock march. After we march down from Logan Square down to the Art Museum, our program will begin at 12 o'clock. I know you guys are going to have speakers, musicians, musicians, poets, speaking, Uh, ordinary people to show that this march is just not about politicians Mm -hmm. or about CEOs of companies, but it's about Deja. It's about me. It's about our group. And let me tell you, we have a phenomenal group of women. We have Laura Alabaster, who's working on this, Ali working on this. We have uh, Salima Suswill, Uh, Emily Morris. We want to shout out to Emily. Emily is the original organizer of this. Yes. And she is just so proud. I think proud. I interviewed Emily last yes. year. Yes. It's just, she's just so proud to see what's come out of this. What are you hoping that women, the tens of thousands of women and their men who support yes. them, yes. who yes. come and out, families. what Supporters are, you hoping? are welcome too. It's not just women yes. to attend the march. Supporters are welcome too. However, we are only having women speak. We want to make sure that women are the focus and we want to make sure that all women are the focus of yes. this. And yes. so this day, January 20th, yes. will be a day of empowerment. Where can people People go and and find out all the information because I know there's some security requirements because yes. the size has grown. We won't go into that, mm-hmm. but tell people where they can find out everything. They can visit the I think the Facebook page mm-hmm. is the best page. So Philly Women Riley, they we have a Facebook page as well as the Women March on Philadelphia. If you Google Women's March on Philadelphia on our Facebook page or Women. Philly Women Women's Raleigh, Raleigh. Yeah. you will also you can also register there's a link on there and if you have any ideas or you just want to give some positive feedback even if you want to give negative feedback we will uh, screenshot it and answer you and let the world know but so, come out yeah but come, come out, out January 20th out. be right. on time 10:30 um, be there and and thank you, ladies. Thank yeah, you, Deja thank you and Nikki Bagby for yes. being here. And I can't wait because I'll be out there, yes, bundled good. up with my hoodie on <laughs> yes. and all that. Uh, and so, thank you so much, and good luck with the remaining of the planning. Thank, thank you. you. Next up, they're celebrating the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday by taking action. That's how you honor him, not by just having a breakfast or painting a wall. Three ways a Philadelphia group is using faith to change the city. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. We here at KYW are all about community, and Philadelphians organize to witness, empower, and rebuild. 
also known as POWER, is an interfaith, interracial coalition of clergies that has been on the ground engaging voters, influencing policy, and getting folks elected to office. And this King Day, they'll be rolling up their sleeves and putting on their thinking caps. With me in the studio to talk about POWER's latest work is Executive Director, the Reverend Gregory Holston. Welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you so much. And and for my church, I want to say also I'm the senior pastor of Jane's Memorial, United Methodist Church. I want to make sure I let them know I'm thinking about them as well. Wonderful. So I tried to mention some of the things that power does, but could you explain what power is? Yes, power is 65, presently 65 congregations in the city of Philadelphia and the surrounding suburbs and now organizing in Lancaster, Harrisburg, Dauphin County, uh, Lebanon County, and York County. And we're building a communities of opportunity that work for all. Uh, race, Racial justice is at the center of what we do, and faith is the foundation of what we do. So we are faith-based organizing. That means we organize around social justice issues, such as uh, criminal justice reform, education justice reform, uh, economic dignity, health care, immigration, and a variety of other issues where we put apply pressure on the policymakers and the politicians to to follow our faith principles in the policies that they make and they create. You all have been exceptionally busy. Give me some examples of some of the work that you've done in the community. Our first campaign was at the airport. Four thousand workers at the airport, uh, from baggage camp claim handlers to people who clean the airplane. Many of them were making as little as two fifty an hour. They were called tip workers. They would do two fifty an hour, and then others would make as much as five dollars an hour. Now all of those workers make at least $12 an hour. And the work of that, pushing through unions and politicians, we were able to pass a referendum that not only applied to those 4,000 workers, but tens of thousands of workers throughout the city who are now secure in making at least $12 an hour. This is one of the things power has been involved with. The Martin Luther King Jr. holiday is right around the corner. Philadelphia has one of the largest Martin Luther King Jr. Day of Services, but you guys started a different tradition where folks were taken to the street. The best way to honor Martin Luther King is to honor him with a day of social justice, a day of political action. And as we partner with even those who are part of the day of service, we're looking to move people who are a part of that day of service in not to just a day of action, but a year of action. And we think to honor Martin Luther King is to dare to protest to dare to do civil disobedience, to raise the issues of the day, whether it's raising the minimum wage or funding our schools in a fair fashion and a racially uh, a racially non-biased fashion, to have criminal justice reform where people are not staying in prison because they simply can't make bail. That all of the kinds of reforms we need to make in the city and beyond is something to lift up on Martin Luther King Day. That's how you honor him, not by just having a breakfast or painting a wall, but recognizing that if you paint that wall, I need to know why the schools needed to have that wall painted in the first place. Yeah, yeah, and I will say that I remember the first time you guys held a huge march, it was thousands, like 7,000 people. We probably say 10,000, but it was quite a lot of people that day, and it was right after the Mike Brown non-verdict. And so people were moving to the streets, but that was a good 20, 25 organizations to gather together on that day. And that was a special moment. And we declared then that these organizations and everybody there was a part of a new Philadelphia justice movement. 
And that movement has swept now uh, from ending the school reform commission. That same movement has been involved in lifting it of issues of, of criminal justice reform and police accountability and to end stop and frisk. Uh, and that movement now has moved to pushing into office, uh, the district attorney, uh, Larry Krasner, who said very clearly when he was inaugurated just a couple of days ago that he wasn't being inaugurated, that a movement was. Yeah. And so this um, Monday for the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, what will power be doing? Well, we're gathering together because we recognize that of all the success we've had, that we cannot build the kind of city, the kind of state, the kind of nation we want just on the level of involvement we have now. There are many people out there that hear this and they're staying on the sideline. It is now that we're trying to reach out to those people to say that there's a role you can play in this great movement. Power is a people of faith. But this day where we're calling a people's day of action is at Dobbins High School. Uh, we're not in a church. We're not in the street. We're, we're specifically in a school because we want people of all backgrounds and all faiths or no faith at all to come out at 1 o'clock, Dobbins High School, hear our call to action, come and be involved in our teachings, which are from 2.30 to 4, which is going to teach you about the social justice issues that are faced in our city and how you can be involved to making a real change. You can check out Power's website at powerinterfaith.org. Again, that's powerinterfaith.org. Thank you so much to Reverend Gregory Holston for coming in and being on Flashpoint. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's it for the Flashpoint podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow KYW News Radio on Twitter and let us know what you think by using the hashtag Flashpoint. You can also follow me at Cherry Greg. You can subscribe to the show by using the radio.com app, iTunes, or whatever platform you use to get your podcast. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. This year marks the 50th anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s Poor People campaign, which demanded economic and human rights for poor Americans and diverse backgrounds. He died. He was assassinated before its launch. It would have turned 89 on Monday. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.